This is Pastor Oetla Simangani thanking you for joining us as we journey through the word of the Lord. Genesis 38 verse 26. She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son Shalah. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Close your eyes with me as we pray. Father in heaven, speak to us now, for we ask this humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. We take a break from the life of Joseph to look at the life of one of his brothers, Judah. It is for good reason that we take a break from Joseph to look at Judah. We will understand later why the story of Joseph is interrupted by the story of Judah. It is because Judah has a specific place in the plan of God. Judah has a place in the plan he has for the covenant promise. And so here we are introduced to a woman by the name of Tamar. Tamar is the first of five women in the genealogy of Christ, as we have it in Matthew chapter 1. There is Tamar in verse 3, Rahab in verse 5, Ruth also in verse 5, Bathsheba, identified as the wife of Uriah in verse 6, and Mary in verse 16. Notably absent from this list are the great mothers of Israel. Who would you have expected to see? Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. The women included in the genealogy are Gentiles. Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabitess, and Bathsheba was a Hittite. Very important. And thus Tamar and company declare that in Christ there is hope for all. Indeed, some of the people we have written off are more righteous than we. Some of the characters that are involved in this uh, you know, Tamar and Rahab reflect to us indeed the wide nature and the magnanimity of the grace of God. He embraces them all. He embraces the Jew and the Gentile, male and female. He embraces the prostitute. He embraces everyone included in there. And so there is a special message for us in many of these messages and particularly the characters in the stories. But here we are, Judah and Tamar. Hypocrisy, beloved, is a stumbling block for many. We see in the story the hypocrisy of Judah and we are reminded of our own hypocrisy. As we point a finger at others, we are reminded that there are four other fingers pointing at us. There are some people who will not enter into a church because they see hypocrites there. And yet, beloved, if you were to look quite honestly, you would understand that you yourself are a hypocrite. Jesus said it better in Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? 
You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hypocrisy. It is so full everywhere. It is everywhere. Hypocrites are everywhere. In the church, in the home, everywhere are hypocrites. Judah, we will learn, is the one through whom the kingship shall come. It is through Judah that David the king comes. And this chapter provides an interesting background to that history. It is a story of grace for all of us. Judah, Jacob's fourth-born son, who now occupied the place of Bethright by virtue of his older three brothers' sins. As you can see in chapter 35, verse 22, and chapter 34, he knew that he must not marry a Canaanite, but he does. The description of his marriage suggests that it was not a marriage built on principle, maybe chemistry, maybe lust, maybe passion, but not principle. The Bible says there Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shu'ah. He took her and went in to her. The woman bore him three sons, Er, Onan, and Shelah. Er, the firstborn, married Tamar, but died because of his wickedness. We are introduced to a strange custom, quite strange. The existing marital laws directed that if a husband died without an heir, without a child, who would be heir to the father's blessing, his brother was to then marry his widow and produce an heir for him by proxy. The son would not be his, but his deceased brother's son, and the legal heir to the firstborn privileges. In fact, the son would be given the name of the dead man. Onan was to play this part. He was the brother of the deceased, and he was to marry Tamar. He married Tamar, but refused his duty because he wanted the rights of the firstborn for himself and not for a son that would be born. And so the Lord puts him to death, verse 7 to 10. It is more than simply the fact that he spilt the seed, but it is the fact that he there betrayed the function that he was meant to perform, that he wanted for himself that which should have gone to the heir. Judah does not give his last bond to fulfill the duties of providing an heir for Tamar and heir. He deceives Tamar and he uh, asks her to wait, and she waits, but he never does what he promised. He effectively removed her from the picture. But at that time, the Lion of Judah faced extinction. Er was dead. Likewise, Onan was no more. And Judah had manipulated Tamar away from Shelah, the last born. What could she do? Here's her plan. She dresses as a cultic prostitute. When her father-in-law, Judah, became a widower himself. And so she is in mourning. She has wept over the loss of her husband. But here is uh, Judah. He also is a widower now. And so she targets Judah at that time. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know. 
that this was Tamar. She said, What will you give me that you may come in to me? And he answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And he said, If you give me a pledge until you send it, then we may go ahead. And he said, What pledge shall I give you? She replied, Your signet and your cord and your stuff that is in your hand. This was like saying, Give me your ID. <laughs> and Judah takes the bait. His sexual appetite was, was not able to, to, to tolerate postponement. Such was his physical hunger, as it were, that his desires compromised his morals and his clarity of thought, his judgment. And so he gave them to her, his identity card, and he went in to her, and she conceived by him. And then she arose and went away, and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. Listen to the story. After about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And then Judah says, listen to Judah, bring her out and let her be burned. He does not seem to hesitate. He is so judgmental. Like many who pounce at sinners, Judah pounces, pronouncing judgment. As she was being led out to judgment, she sent to Judah the symbols of his legal persona, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, Please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. See, too often women bear the brunt of judgment and condemnation when they fall pregnant. While men remain anonymous, they are called all sorts of names, their lives are ruined, while those whom they are pregnant by go on with their lives, even calling the people they slept with names. Tamar had the evidence. The owner of these things is the man with whom I am pregnant. Please identify whose these things are. Of course, it was Judah. To this, Judah is humbled, and he declares, she is more righteous than I. This story kind of reminds me of another story in the New Testament, when a woman was brought to Jesus and the announcement was she was caught in the very act. But what's amazing is that only one person is brought, and yet it is an act that requires two people. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that Jesus does not stone her or call for her to be stoned. But he says, he that is without sin, let them cast the first stone. He gets down and he begins to write. And it may be as they were reading, they began to live one by one from the senior to the junior. What was he writing? Could it be that he was identifying those who are culprits, their sins? As he does so, they leave the place and none could throw the stone. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And here is Judah. He has said, let us burn her. He has been judgmental to her. Some of us, beloved, see ourselves better than others. We are so proud, not realizing that should the veil be drawn back, should the truth be told, those we judge the most are better than us. 
Some of us don't understand the circumstances that people have found themselves in. A teacher looks at a child and says, why do you have such a filthy tongue speaking such a language, always cussing and stuff? And one day she goes to the boy's house, goes and as she enters the community, by the time she leaves the boy's house, she wonders how can this boy be so good living in such a mess? Her perspective changes. Some of us have no appreciation. It's just that maybe you are a man and you don't fall pregnant. You are not more holy. You just haven't been caught. Maybe your eyes only see the sins of others, but you cannot see your true state. You have not been confronted with the truth. You are a sinner. And this is why I love the Bible. This is why I love Bible preaching, because it presents to us a mirror. Paul says, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. And so the mirror is placed before us and we can see who we are truly. The song we are singing today is chief of sinners though I be. Jesus shed his blood for me. She is more righteous than I. And I'm glad that people change. People do change. After this truth was revealed and Judah publicly admitted his moral failure, Judah changed. In chapter 44, we will find a changed Judah standing before Joseph, pleading for the welfare of Benjamin and offering his life as a pledge to save his little half-brother. People change. I pray today that God's grace may be applied on your life when you realize that like Judah, indeed you are a sinner. That the people you judge most, they may enter the gates of heaven before you do. For blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is entered into by those who realize firstly their true state and are able to plead for the need of salvation. They're able to seek the hand of God. They're able to accept the message of the cross because they know they need the blood. If you are like Tamar and have been judged, I want you to remember the story that in the lineage of Jesus was a woman who had been judged, Tamar, a real prostitute who dared to believe, called Rahab, right? She said, remember me, remember me. And she put out a scarlet cord, and indeed, she was remembered. The song we are singing, we have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus says, yes, even me, the chief of sinners. Let us close our eyes and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we ask, dear Father, that you may humble us like you did Judah. I pray that none of us may be hypocrites, pointing out the speck in another's eye when there is a log in our own eye. But teach us, Lord, to come to your word so that we may see a mirror of ourselves and know that we too are in need of grace. And because of your grace, we can be saved through Jesus. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.